0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Susan DeSensee. In today's episode, this is another one of those episodes that was recorded about a year ago, or not or not quite. And it's really timely because of everything going on and that has been going on for, what, about the last year and a half or so. The title is From Sorrow to Joy. And it's really my guest's beautiful Story about how she lost her daughter and found a place within herself to be able to step into joy and then be a beacon of that joy to others. So, as you listen in, please recognize that we all have grief and sorrow in so many different ways, and that the joy that we can find day to day in our lives is about how we choose to view the grief to view the sorrow while still feeling the grief and sorrow. So I hope you enjoy listening to Linda Shively's journey on how to truly go from sorrow to joy. Welcome back to the show. You know, you know me, everybody, every week I'm always saying, oh, I'm so excited to have so-and-so in the house. But I, I really am beyond thrilled to have this guest in the house today because I think we're going to really dive in to a topic that is so not discussed so often, right? People are so afraid to talk about the grief and the sorrow that they feel when something tragic happens. And this particular person who is, I actually just met her maybe a month ago through some joint things that we're involved in and a part of. And we had a conversation and I'm like, oh my God, you're amazing. I really need to bring you on the podcast. She's like, I'd love to. So I am so honored to introduce to you and I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a minute. But first, I just want to say, welcome Linda Shively to the show. I am so honored that you're here with me today. Well, thank you, Susan. I'm excited to be here. Well, let me tell you all a little bit about Linda. So, you know, Linda was in a very abusive marriage and after healing from that marriage and then navigating, you know, the diagnosis um, and eventual death of her three-year-old beautiful baby daughter, she found her way to bounce back and reclaim the joy in her life. And I'll tell you, you know, that's not an easy thing. And what it led to is that she now helps successful women really defeat the dragons in their life and elevate their joy to new levels. And I love that, that phrase, they're dragons, right? That's, mm, yeah. Those little demons that want to breathe fire at us, you know, the not demons, but I see the little dragons in my mind now after kind of getting to know you and reading that. Now I see them kind of breathing fire, like that negative inner voice, that critical stuff, and just going, ah. So I, I I don't know. I'm not continuing to share who you are yet because I just, I think that's awesome. I love that. And I <laughs> want to find out how you came to, to Dragons. And that journey for Linda, I'm sure was not an easy one. And we're going to dive into that today. But What it really led to then is she really became a best-selling author and an award-winning speaker and a neuroscience and mindset expert. And that's right up my alley because although I can be super woo-woo and I love the the mind-body-spirit connections and obviously the show, you know, is titled, I also... I'm a professional and I love the science and I love neuroscience. I love the neuroplasticity and I love epigenetics and I love all the ways that we're beginning to understand the brain and the mind in in ways that we never could before. Now, she has presented across the country, get this, like I am so honored you're here, Linda, the Harvard Club at Boston, the New York City Bar Association, Walmart and Carnegie Hall, like flipping awesome. She's been a multiple-time guest and host on cable television and featured in a film with, like, this is way cool, and I may pick your brain about this just for fun later, but Winona Ryder and Jeff Daniels. And she's even performed, like, wow, you're the first person I've ever met who's performed there, but she's performed at the Rose Bowl for over 90,000 people. So having studied the brain and the mind for over 30 years... And you're earning her psychobiology degree from UCLA. She's also a certified master life and executive coach, a master practitioner, and one of my favorite things, NLP, neuro linguistic programming. Um, I didn't know you were a master hypnotherapist and a certified laughter yoga leader. See, that's, I met my first laughter yoga leader about six or seven years ago, and I'm like, no way. And she's like, yeah. And she hosted a, uh, for the event we were at, a little like yoga laughter you know laughter yoga every morning it was such an amazing way to start the day so like god have I missed anything Linda about who kind of who you are and what you do and where you come from I I think you captured quite a bit (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well and you know you you all know me that you know yeah I could I could just pepper some of Linda's you know accolades and credentials and accomplishments throughout the show, but you know, I really wanted to set the stage because this is just, well, not just, this is a regular woman. And what I mean by that is we all have these accomplishments of varying kinds. We all have accolades. We all have these journeys we've been on. And I, and you know, saying it at the outset is a twofold purpose. I, on the one hand, I don't want to scare anybody away. Like, oh, well, look, she's done all this stuff. So I can't, maneuver through this stuff in my life no way and at the same time i want to really set the stage for you all to understand that she is a normal human being like all of us and she went through a lot of shit and she came out of that learning how to slay those dragons and really tame them in a way to recapture her joy after such a tragic situation with her daughter and So I hope you really pay attention because all of her background is phenomenal, but it was really what she went through that led her to what she's doing now. And that's the part I want to share. So again, thank you, Linda. You're an amazing woman. We had a synergistic connection right off the bat. Tell me a little bit, like share what you will as we go back in time within your story, but share a little bit about kind of where you were at before and then kind of what happened with your daughter and what through that journey of her diagnosis and the loss of her physical life led you to where you are today.
1: Well, back in December of 2005, let's just go back there for a moment. I was making a really tough decision I had to figure out how to get out of an abusive marriage with my daughter, Jessica, who had severe physical disabilities. And it was a situation where going back in time, she was diagnosed at three months with a neuromuscular disorder called spinal muscular atrophy. And the doctors didn't anticipate that she would survive to her first birthday. Wow, which is really devastating for a new mom to hear. And she didn't know any different. Yeah. She had this joyous, happy being was she's super excited about everything. And loves people, loves to be around people, loves to be engaged, loves books. Oh, my gosh. If, if there was not a book being read, she was like, in, in, like pointing at the books, like read me more books. Aww. And she had the ability to maneuver her power chair. She was in preschool. Mm-hmm. She had the strength in her index finger. To be able to drive that power chair and get where she wanted to go and to say she was feisty is kind of an understatement <laughs> she she had that twinkle in her eye like i'm gonna do what i want to do no matter what you say right <laughs> and loved to play with stickers and you know just totally a kid and loved being the condition was a physical condition. It affected her ability to sit. She wasn't able to sit. She wasn't able to crawl or walk. Um, It affected her ability to swallow and eventually breathe and did not affect her mind. So she was super smart and loved to be in her play group and play with her friends. And that helped them understand that People can be in wheelchairs and people can be, have all different conditions and not even care. Yeah. And during this whole time, I always felt like I was walking on eggshells. And You You mean in your marriage? In my marriage. And it was, and people say, oh, well, when you have this severe challenge in your marriage that, Affects the relationship, but yeah, that that's a nice thing to say. I don't think it was healthy before that, so it just, yeah. just it, it didn't it didn't help. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and at you know figuring out how to get out was next to impossible because with a physically able child that doesn't have an ICU in their room and that doesn't have nursing, it might be a little bit easier but when you have when you have to extract all of that yeah it takes a lot of planning
0: <laughs> oh my god i can only imagine so- i know how hard it was for me to leave my first husband who was verbally and emotionally abusive and i didn't have any of that you know yeah. i mean just the the everything you go through in your mind emotionally spiritually and then the physical thoughts of like, well, where am I going to live? Or, you know, what job am I going to have if I have to move far away and maybe leave the job because travel is not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to do or even feasible. But we have all of those considerations just to leave, you know, and then all the internal stuff of, can I make this? Can I do this? Right. And I had all of that with a two-year-old when I left going, how am I going to do all this? I didn't have my degrees. I didn't, I had to leave a job. I was moving 72 miles away. It's like, oh my God. And then, you know, trying to be a co-parent, how are we going to do visitation? You know, just so many things. But I had none of the physical stuff to deal with for my son. So I can't even imagine. So how long did it take you to kind of come to the place of planning where you did or could leave?
1: It was a, period of time. I, I don't know exactly because I had the realization of I really do need to get out and then the panic yeah. of how the heck am I going to do this and what am I going to do? What you know? How can I possibly do this on my own? Sure. And literally did incremental planning of how can I drive her because I can't drive her by myself. There always has to be somebody watching her. Oh. So there always has to be another person. Wow. How do I take a shower? Because if she needs something, so, I mean, literally I had her right outside and had a very non-relaxing shower, but I proved to myself I could do it. I'm like, okay, check. Wow. <laughs> and literally going down the list of how can I do this? How can I do this? And when I got to a reasonable craziness of list and like, okay, I think this can work. I still don't know quite how. Then on a Tuesday... After I brought her home from preschool, I put her down for a nap. I told the best nurse that I had, I said, we are packing. You are packing her medical equipment. I'm going to pack her clothes and her toys. As soon as she wakes up, we're leaving. Wow. And we left, escaped, if you want to say that. And exactly two weeks later, two days after Christmas, I held her in my arms as she took her last breath and died.
0: Wow. Two weeks after you left. Exactly. So, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And, you know, it's, it's, isn't it, isn't it interesting how we as human beings can have this challenge, this difficulty in, in like, what do we say? Right. Like my condolences. I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, because it's, it's such a hard thing to lose anyone we love, but let alone your child and let alone a a very young child. I mean, no parent, you know, isn't it's typical. Well, I won't say typical, but isn't kind of the norm that we grow up with With that we're going to, we grow up, we get married, we have these children, we're in this career, our parents are getting older, and then the parents go first, and we okay. take care of our parents in their bit older age, right? And then, you know, we become the grandparents, and it's our turn at some point. It's not, it's very common, unfortunately, but it's not as, quote unquote, typical or what we're raised with in our conditioning to think about being a parent, losing a child. So it's even more devastating,
1: right. just
0: because it's not the norm. It's, right? It's, it's out of order. It's out I of mean. order. Yeah. And, and so and
1: there isn't even a word for that. I mean, no. if, if you're a child who's lost a parent or both your parents, you're an orphan. Right. But there really isn't a word for parents who've lost children
0: oh my god I you're right I've never thought about that that is wow and so I I say to you I'm so sorry and at the same time you know I I truly I believe that even in our tragedies and even in our deepest challenges and the darkest nights of our soul There can be, and often that there is, I'll just say it flat out, there is gifts for us at some point for us to unwrap and look at, not necessarily in the moment, but at some point in the future, Um, and, and share as you will or not, may I ask, was when you talk about leaving this abusive marriage, was there physical abuse? There was starting to be. Oh, it was yeah, the, I get the, that.
1: The shoving, the, yep. the pushing, the yeah. So my it, ex and
0: I got did the yeah. That was actually my catalyst was that we got into the one and only like major physical altercation where it was not defending him, God rest his soul. He passed about 10 years ago, but I I it was I'm not defending him, but it truly was one of those kind of accidents. He was drunk, we were fighting. He was in my face. I put my hands up to kind of like shield myself from him continuing to get in my face. And I think he thought I was going to go to hit him. So he raised his hand. So it was like one of those quick things where our hands like hit each other. And then we kind of like knocked each other. His watch edge cut my face and I got him and he fell over and cut his eye on a lamp. You know what I mean? It was like, we, but I knew that if we, if I didn't walk away, this was only going to get worse and the the verbal and the emotional abuse was you know severe so w- when he drank he was the sweetest man when he didn't drink but when he drank he was just you know not the same man so you leave you're are you grieving the marriage before Jessica passes because in this couple of weeks you had planned all this it had taken all this time for you to get to a place where you could physically leave you left was there grieving for the marriage for the good parts or was it just a gratitude that you were out honestly I did
1: not have time
0: to okay grieve yeah. I
1: was so busy because I moved about 40 minutes away to my parents okay I was still driving back and forth to pick up the nurses because I didn't want to make them drive more to be there. So my mom would take care of Jessica while I would go back and forth. So I was doing, plus she was still in preschool. So just lots and lots of logistics Mm -hmm. that were being dealt with, plus trying to figure out, what i was going to do next
0: you know and
1: and all of that and trying to talk to an attorney and talk to the you know trying to put all that into place and then when she died it's like okay i can't do this right now
0: so were you having though in those two weeks even having to deal with him too Like you know like either oh calling and being angry and trying to find or you know did he know where you were i mean with so he knew you, where I was. Okay. So um, you did, you really had no time to think. No, because it I,
1: wasn't it wasn't completely over at that point. Because okay. I mean i I had moved, but it wasn't. You know. He
0: was aware that I wanted it to end,
1: but yeah. And, but
0: yeah. Was um, there indication? again, and if I'm crossing the line or going too deep with things you don't want to talk about, you know, I'm kind of known for that. I mean, I guess (laughs) as a, a therapist myself, you know, I'm always asking those tougher, deeper questions. But was there any, I mean, you knew obviously she had been diagnosed with this and they hadn't expected her to live past a year. And she's obviously three. Was there any additional indication though, in those last couple of weeks that like the end was coming for her or there was a- additional illness or symptoms or something that were letting you know oh no she got sick
1: on christmas eve oh and having spent her first christmas in the hospital it was very challenging cuz it was like i i knew it's not a great time to be in the hospital i sure. knew that if She could stay well. I had many resources to be able to deal with what she was going through, or so I thought. I was in communication with the doctors, and based on where she was, it was kind of that, well, maybe you can deal with it at home. Maybe Mm -hmm. you need to bring her in. And when I did bring her in, it was very quick after that that it was it became obvious to everyone mm-hmm. that she
0: wasn't gonna make it oh my god and yeah and did that kind of put you and your ex you know ex-husband kind of back on some <sighs> language is so sucky sometimes right i wanted it to did say not it...
1: put us on good terms but yeah. we were both there
0: Yeah. I was going to say, did it put you back on some kind of level playing field, which are poor choices of words simply because it's rallying around your daughter together versus, or was there still that, you know, kind of behavior from him, even though you were on good terms for your daughter?
1: There was so much stress in that, in those days that to even extract that. You know, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of... um, it, But some of that, you know, everyone deals with grief differently. So I'm not going to attempt to guess at what was about what, Mm -hmm. you know, because he was mad that I left. He was mad that she died. He was mad that,
0: you know, there was a lot of anger. Well, and I would imagine was there... Kind of that on your side too, right? To some degree. Like you're dealing with a whole host of emotions as well, not just with your daughter, but with having to see him and deal with him with her. And then afterwards the funeral arrangements and all kinds of things and that, you know, are part of losing someone that couldn't like my God, how did you manage through all of that? Again, I know there was that part Honestly,
1: I have no idea.
0: Yeah, you know, I was going to say,
1: yeah, I, would I was like going to say, oh, well, it worked this way. And I mean, there were certain things that he took care of. There were certain things that I took care of. There were, um, somehow it all came together. Yeah. But it was, um, there was a level of calm. There was a level of planning, but there was a lot of undercurrent of not very healthy communication too.
0: Mm. So what point do you think it was for you after that you noticed you or, or were you ever feeling kind of swallowed in the sorrow and the grief? Like what, like, because what kind of was the catalyst, I guess, is what I'm leading up to that made you realize, you know, we don't just wake up one day and go, Oh, I'm tired of feeling grief and I'm tired of feeling sorrow or any use any language like that and say, Oh, I'm going to step into joy. Right? Like this, this process for you that led to you being able to now help others really regain and reclaim their joy could not have been An easy one. So I guess what I'm really asking was, there a point after her death where you, I don't know, kind of recognized something about the grief and the sorrow that you're in, and it became a bit of a catalyst for you to move into a different kind of way of dealing with what you were feeling? There were many,
1: many, 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 many layers to it. So it's not like one day, like, ta-da. Right. Um, I, you know, that that would make life too easy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, people say, well, what's the formula to get through? Well, there are ways, but it's not an exact science. And yeah. it getting support was huge. I had... Therapist, I was working with initially. I worked with groups. I became involved with a group called Compassionate Friends, which is for parents who've lost children, and eventually became a leader in our chapter. And so that that was one level. Then I began speaking because I knew that there was a story to share. And I know that seems kind of odd but because I love speaking it real I realized wait a minute most people are terrified of speaking I love it I have a story to share I'm going to do this and so I began speaking and started in small groups and did what you're not supposed to do when you're speaking and kind of used speaking as therapy which is a
0: bad idea but <laughs> but it worked right <laughs> Well, a lot of people do, though. Like you said, a lot of people use speaking as a way to continue processing and healing. And, you know, I honestly, I'd be interested in your thoughts as to why you think that's such a bad idea. I mean, I...
1: Well, let let me say, I think it's great for the person who's doing it to be able to process. Do not do it from a stage where you're like delivering a keynote or something like that. If you you haven't processed your own everything, it makes the audience feel sorry for you. Right, yeah. It does not leave the audience in a good place. And that doesn't serve the
0: people to whom you're speaking. That's an important distinction that you said. But I think it still becomes a healing
1: process
0: even many, many years later, like I know I've dealt with all of the traumas specifically head on, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't times where even though I don't feel like there's any residual layers of things, I'm sure there are. It's just that not something I need to maybe go through or process or deal with right now. Mm -hmm. But if I'm you know sharing about a story And it brings something up, it's still a processing piece, just not in that moment, like you said, where then it becomes that very, yes, I I totally get that. So, did that then lead to, well, continue on. I don't want to keep asking you more, just like, (laughs) because this is such, so incredibly important for those who have dealt with grief and sorrow and how it's so easy for us to get really caught in the vortex of it. Yeah, I I
1: think helping other people helped me. Being being helped, then helping other people were kind of the two main pieces. And there's still layers. I mean, I'm I still have coaches. I still coach. I mean, it it's it works both ways. I believe that we all need support, especially for those of us who give a lot of ourselves to others we need somebody on our team <laughs> very much so to to help and so i love supporting my clients and helping them get through whatever they're getting through and i love the fact that i have people that can support me so
0: oh such a excellent point because it's so easy i've been through this i'm helping others i'm good now no we're still we're always evolving and we're always growing and you know, people are like, like they'll say to me, how can you talk about like the assaults, even in detail, if I needed to, in whatever capacity I'm speaking in, right, or group Mm -hmm. or whatnot, you seem like you're so emotionally disconnected from it. Like, are you avoiding? Is there still stuff there? If you put up the wall, and it's like, no, I just have no emotional charge to it anymore. I can go back in time and pull up the emotional charge if I needed to, but because it's not within my beingness, my mind, body, spirit, because I can talk about it without it defining me and feeling that charge, it can appear as though we are disconnected from this you know, severe tragedy or trauma or sorrow or grief. But like, I, my mom died 20, almost 21 years ago. I still cry for her. She's clearly not here. And I still grieve her loss especially at times when, you know, some milestone happens in mm-hmm. the family's life, right? Mm-hmm. Or I think about where she would be at now, which I know is not the same as losing a child. But I can see, have you found, I guess, the the parallels then in sorrow and grief, right? With people, whether it was a child or someone else they lost, that they're, you know, thinking about, well, I had them for 55 years, and gosh, they'd be 75 by now, where would they be? Or what would they look like? The same as when it's a child? Or is it very different with a child? Do you think?
1: I think it's different with a child. I mean, I think there's some of that with adults. And, you know, there's definitely when milestones happen, there's definitely when birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, they're, times that you would spend uniquely with those people yeah there's always a tug and and sometimes it's everyday things so it's not just the big milestones it may be that little teeny thing that you see something or remember something and there is with the because I don't necessarily coach people around this but I have a few clients who have had major losses but it's the the work that I've done with compassionate friends I've witnessed parents for losing children of all ages to all different kinds of causes and there's always a oh they would be this age now oh yeah or they would be you know and when friends, kids are having milestones and your kid isn't. And so like having this year happened to be the year Jessica would have been 18 and would have been graduating from high school. So there was a challenge around that. It's like she didn't get to graduate thankfully in preschool even though I thought it was ridiculous at the time they had a graduation party so I have a photo of her in a graduation gown but Aww. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> it's like okay they're three they don't need to graduate but anyway right. in hindsight I'm grateful because now sure. I have a picture but it there are definitely milestones and twinges yeah. that happen when certain things go on. But I think it's, it's the journey of all the different places. And what I've done, at least for me with Jessica, is she had so much joy and brought so much joy to me and to other people that I'd rather be happy and share that happiness than share the sadness. And I feel like being that beacon of being able to talk about her from a place of gratitude, from a place of joy helps other people with their grief because it's like, Oh, I don't have to be miserable forever. It's like, you can, if you want, it's your choice, but you also have the opportunity to be happy and, you know, and everything in between, you know, it's like, we're humans, we have a range of emotions and, it's okay to experience them. And just because you had a tragedy doesn't mean that you can never experience those other other emotions again.
0: Yes. Isn't that the interesting piece is that people are like, if I, if I move on and I start dating again, it means he or she wasn't important to me. If I have another child or I do work with other children, it means that child wasn't important to me. If I, you know can move on from the loss of my parent that I was close to or a sibling or a friend. Somehow it means blah, blah, blah means it means it means, and it doesn't mean Jack diddly old squat, right? <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. you know, right. it, it means that I have been in this place of grief and sorrow and loss and you know, hurting and pain and all of these pieces and I'm human, and I keep moving forward, and that's the point of the whole show is that we're navigating these human experiences and becoming spiritually expressed and becoming those badasses that we are meant to be, not from the place of oh badass means you're tough and you're rough and you're like you know kind of the old you know hoodlums of the forties and the fifties that were i you know portrayed on black and white movies, right It's that we are all of it. We are all encompassing. So was there, as you continued to speak and that part of your life continued to move forward and grow and you were healing and moving through the processing of healing and the journey itself, did you find there was a place where you, and again, I I don't mean it as specifically like literally woke up one day, of course not, but was there a place where you kind of realized What you were just talking about that hey i don't really want to sit from this you know and operate from this place anymore because jessica was really my role model for joy
1: there have been as i said multiple layers of it and doing being more involved in coaching being more involved in speaking there I think pretty early on, I was realizing that people were reacting to how I was reacting and impressed. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say impressed, but just like how I talk about Jessica all the time. Mm -hmm. So I live in an area, I've been here for almost 11 years and people hadn't met Jessica. Most of my colleagues never had a chance to meet her. Because I wasn't doing this work when she was alive. Mm -hmm. Yet everybody knows about her. Mm. And to me, that is the legacy. You know, it's like she can't be here to talk about herself, be the amazing, whatever she was gonna end up doing. So I get to share her. And if that helps somebody else, realize that they can do something in their life, it helps them realize that they don't have to stay stuck in whatever past they get to write their story and live their story the way they want it to be. Like what you were talking about. It's like the, the meaning. It's like what meaning do you place on the events in your life? It's like the event, you can't change the physical event. Right. But what's the meaning?
0: yeah and you get to choose that so how did you like become essentially kind of a you know i guess i mean i could go back and look through again to see the specific but like are you kind of considered a a joy coach
1: (laughs) i mean i i call myself my the chief joy officer in my business i love that (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, people have said, Oh, you, you're a joy coach. It's like, okay, you could call me that. Okay. It's, it, it is what I do. I mean, there are many layers to what I do, but that essentially is how do people get to their joy and how do people, I mean, we all have it within us all the time, but it's often hidden. And if it's not actually there,
0: we can't succeed. Yeah. So what are maybe some of the most common reasons then that you find in your work and in your own healing journey, right? What are some of the most common reasons that you found, you know, for people not really living a life filled with joy? Well,
1: like you alluded to earlier, there are joy-stealing dragons, that I have have named because (laughs) they are a part of us and yet we can learn to navigate them and tame them. And so the first one I call Second Guessing Sally. And she wants you to second guess every decision, which may actually prevent you from making decisions or you'll make a decision and then change it because... Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done it that way, which doesn't help people to move forward. Yeah. And that can be really detrimental. And the second one I call no good Nancy. Because Ooh, that she, too. she wants you to believe that you were not born good enough, oh. even though you were. But yeah. she just, anything you try to do, she'll say, "Eh, hey, you can't do that. You're not good enough. Or... If you succeed at something, yeah, you could have done it better. Oh, my God, right?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love and, that. And so it's like, no
1: matter what you do, it's like this voice in your head going, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And the, the third one is Perfect Paula. Ooh. And Perfect Paula wants everything to be just so before she'll take any action, which pretty much means nothing happens because... There's never a time that everything is lined up perfectly and...
0: Nope. <laughs> no such thing.
1: I've, I've waited to do things. Oh, well, when the, you know, when the bank account reaches X and when I have this much time off or when I do this or what. Yeah, just if you want to do something, do it because there's no point in waiting. And then there's judging Jenny. And judging Jenny is a complicated dragon because she wants you to judge other people so you feel better. And yet she also has you judge yourself because she's comparing you to everybody else. Oh yeah. Social media is judging Jenny's playground because (laughs) yeah, I mean, you look at social media and it's like, Everybody has, oh, life is wonderful. Life is wonderful. Life is wonderful. And you feel like, oh my gosh, my life is horrible. Or your life is great. And then you start seeing, oh, this person died and this horrible thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be so happy because everybody else is
0: miserable. And it's
1: that crazy balance.
0: Oh, I've, I'm so guilty of doing that sometimes, but I do the judgment. and And I've always prided myself, not always, but I've prided myself through more in my adult life. I, well, I kind of think I've always been a fairly non-judgmental person. Like I've worked really hard just because I had the awareness at four of, you know, who we were at the core. And I had trouble kind of navigating both the human and the spiritual. So it's like, on the one hand, I knew like that doesn't, that's not coming from love and compassion and empathy. And on the other hand, though, I'm human. And I'd be like, rah, 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 and judging, What I found, though, is like with social media, oh my God, like I have so been guilty of looking at my post and being like, nobody likes it, or only three people like it, or only two people commented, or nobody's commenting, and I've found myself in this digital age and internet world, honestly, of having all kinds of layers come up for healing and awareness because I never, you know, I, I didn't think I was in that space anymore. And then we get into social media, and you're seeing and comparing. A friend of mine—I don't know if she coined the term; she might have heard it somewhere else—but she's like, "comparanoia."
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: All right, and I'm like, "Oh my God, you're right." It's like a compare, a comparison, and a paranoia put together. Like I'm—I I don't even know I'm comparing. I'm just noticing that, oh, this post only has whatever. Mm-hmm. And why does that post or someone else's post who's almost identical or similar topic and they're getting you know a slew of engagement and likes and loves and shares and comments. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? And then I'm like, whoa. Okay, so see, now I'm gonna start calling that Judging Jenny Dragon. I'm seriously gonna have that imagery in my head now. And I'm gonna be like, Judging Jenny, look, Linda taught me, that you're there. I've got my eyes closed to everybody right now. You can't see it, but I literally have my eyes closed. Okay, judging Jenny, you're there. I kind of teach my people to say, shut the F up. We're talking ma- like in the major ways when their mind just won't stop. Right. But it's whatever works for each person. But it's like, okay, shush. Let me talk to you, Jenny. You're not going to have control over me. Because mm-hmm. I truly believe like with what you're describing the work you do, the work I do, the work so many of us do, these dragons are there. And I think that the problem I've had as a therapist and a coach in all these years, to be honest, Linda, is that it seems like so many people are trying to teach others how to like slay these dragons and get rid of them. The problem is they're there. They are Mm -hmm. part of who we are as a human. So we have to learn to like walk with them, right? Like ride them sometimes, At like tame them, right. like you said, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to trying to slay them and get rid of them and make them go away, just learn to to walk with them when they get loud and obnoxious and they're breathing their fire is how I'm imagining it in my own mind, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just like trying to fight against them because yeah. we're never going to win, right? What's yeah. that phrase? What we resist persists, Right. Exactly. Well, and, and then
1: the fifth dragon. Oh, is, my
0: God, there's a fifth.
1: Yes, there's another one. Overwhelmed Ophelia. Oh. And she wants you to always have a tremendously long to-do list, with most of the items being things that aren't really that important, and have you walk around saying, I'm so busy, as if it were a badge of honor.
0: Wow that's a sobering one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I don't like to think that I have lists. I don't like to think that I like putting more on my list. But in just what you said, it, it made me think like, there are times when I am feeling incredibly overwhelmed. And you know what's funny, like you said in the beginning, we all need other people to help support us, right? And I know that I have my mirrors. I have my people in my world that help me, but I've always been of the mindset that we need others to mirror and hold that space for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you just said brought something up as an awareness for me in that I don't necessarily keep writing on a list and sometimes I don't even look at it for weeks. I just know it's kind of there, but I know in my head all the stuff I have to do and I will feel really overwhelmed. And even though I teach others to look at the one foot by one foot square, the little baby steps, I am mm-hmm. still stuck sometimes in that. Oh my God, there the big vision, there's all these pieces, and I'm so overwhelmed. And it's it's almost as an excuse, then, like you just said, what you said was so brilliant that I can be like, oh, I'm so busy because all this stuff is coming at me and I have all this stuff to do that I don't take the time to go into the little baby steps and just like systematically get it done because I have the badge of honor, quote unquote, Mm
1: -hmm. that I'm
0: so busy. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's a very – wow, people. My mind is a little bit blown right now, which just goes to show you like no matter – how, what work we do or how we move through the world, again, we're all learning. We're all evolving. We're all growing. And what you just said caused me to have an awareness and an insight and an aha moment. So I never... The overwhelm is one thing, but the badge of honor to say it like I'm busy is something else that's attached to the overwhelm. Brilliant. So how was this kind of a natural evolution for you in coming up with these joy dragons like how did you i i i love the dragons so how did you get to dragons well it
1: it was an evolution in bouncing it off of people and what do you think and i started off with giants and i'm like no giants seem so like big and scary and you know dragons have a have a duality to them where many people have a real fondness for dragons and other people are more fearful of dragons and so i wanted to kind of play with that and have it be at sometimes they're breathing fire and sometimes they're friendly and but navigating it is the dance that we do
0: yeah that's one of my all-time favorite movies as a kid was pete's dragon So, like, I hear dragons, I have a good kind of memory of that, right? But, you know, I've obviously seen dragons in various places and movies and whatnot who are fire-breathing and, Mm -hmm. you know, rah, scary and going after you. So, what are some of the ways, then, that, like, you know, people listening right now, listening to the dragons, and what are some of the ways that maybe they or others can really gain more joy in their life or recapture some of the joy they feel they may have lost or kind of put to the side and kind of forgotten about a little bit right now well
1: there's one thing that helps tame all of the dragons and that's to take action and it sounds very simple and the challenge is most people don't do it and so that's a whole nother layer, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but when you actually start doing something, these dragons kind of fall by the wayside, you know, that overwhelm, if you're looking at the list and staring at it and trying to figure out what to do, but you actually just pick something and do it. hmm I, I had a conversation recently with someone and we were talking about the word stuck. And, you know, the back, I don't know how many decades ago they used to talk about quicksand all the time. Like every movie had quicksand in it and whatever. I don't think there's a lot of quicksand, quicksand in the world. I haven't researched it, but that's pretty much one of the few ways that we really can be stuck. Yeah, And everything else is just, we're not moving. Mm-hmm. And we're just not doing anything and yeah. so taking some sort of action is a way to to help create that motion create that activity to move forward
0: so if somebody came to you or let's pretend like it's one of the listeners right who, mm-hmm. who is listening in the privacy and the sacredness of their own earbuds and their own environment right now what would be and they're feeling Maybe stuck, or they're feeling like they're drowning in their, you know, sorrow or grief or stagnation or whatever it might be for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're just not feeling joyful. And they were to come to you and say, What's one action step I can take now that might, you know, I know everybody's different, unique, of course, but is there something you found that is a good kind of piece of beginning? wisdom or advice or thought process based on your experience personally and professionally that you can offer up to somebody to begin to maybe try to take that act or not try. I don't, that word is a horrible little word. I've talked about it many times, but they can work toward taking that action now. One thing I find, and I've actually been
1: doing this for years, but in the last, three months, I've dedicated time every single day to meditate and spending time in meditation is one of the best ways to help get more grounded, get more clear, figure out what it is that you really want to be doing. And I, I, I will admit, when I first started meditating, I was like, how the heck is this supposed to be relaxing? My brain was just going, this, 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 is this, this. And you know, I like, didn't understand it at all. I'm like, this, this doesn't work. How do you, you know, people spend hours doing, what? It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Over time, I have realized the incredible benefit of meditation. And even if your mind is spinning to just spend a few moments allowing it to be quiet, allowing it to be still, allowing it to do whatever it wants to do. Mm -hmm. And that helps. And it doesn't have to be an hour. I mean, if you have an hour and you spend an hour, that's amazing. But yeah, a few minutes works.
0: So so, and I know it, on that topic, then I want to point out now, and I'll have this, you know, at the, we'll talk about this for a minute at the end, and I'll have it, of course, in all the show notes, but you have a, um, a meditation that people can utilize every day that really helps them to get grounded and centered and calm. Like, is this, is this good for people who may have never meditated before or those that have meditated regularly? Is it good for both? It works for
1: anybody. And I listened to it the other day just to, I'm like, well, I did this. How, how good is it? And I'm like, oh yeah, it works.
0: <laughs> so- okay. Beautiful. All right. So I want to share that with you right now, but again, we'll say it at the end and I'll have it in the show notes. It's driven D-R-I-V for Victor, E-N, life.com forward slash Susan, S-U-S-A-N. So it's Myjoydrivenlife.com forward slash Susan. Grab that meditation because it I'm going to grab it. It sounds like it's, you know, definitely something that people who, whether they have experience with meditation or not, can absolutely help them to feel a sense of groundedness and centeredness and calmness. What are some of the other kind of things that you do on a regular basis that you find keeps your we'll say joy levels kind of high, like your joy tank filled. I definitely enjoy going for
1: walks. And because where I live is on an Island, I love living on an Island. So it's kind of cool. I, my own private Island that I share with about 70,000 other people.
0: <laughs> wow. Where, If you don't mind me asking, where do you live in, in the,
1: in the San Francisco Bay area in Alameda.
0: Nice. Oh my God. Gorgeous. So taking walks, what else?
1: Really connecting with other people, because I find having conversations with other people connects me to myself and connects me to other people when I can really have that. And finding something that I love now, whether it's going out into the garden, whether it's drawing a picture, which I don't usually do, but occasionally it's just fun to like doodle or I I do not consider myself an artist, but you know, just something that's creative and having that opportunity to really do that is outside of what I do typically for work.
0: Yeah. So it's really a good idea for people, like if they're like, oh, well, you know, I live in this place where I can't really walk or I don't have, some places don't really have sidewalks. Like some of our own town here doesn't have some sidewalks in some places, right? But like if, if there's any excuses or reasons that people are offering up where, oh, I can't go walking or I can't this or I live in an apartment, I don't have a garden. You know, I think, and you tell me because this is your area of expertise, but I know like what I would say is make a list then of all the things that you do enjoy and like, whether it's just listening to a good piece of music or it's kind of dancing and moving around your your place, anything that allows you to feel a sense of connectedness to yourself and to something that you appreciate or love or passionate about. Would you agree?
1: I do agree. And I actually talk about that in my mini course, Discover Your Joy. So it's a lot of fun to be able to, just create that list of what it what is it that makes you have fun and you can whether it's something you can do right now or something you can do later but sometimes just thinking about it and going to that place in your mind is a great way to feel better and the other piece is gratitude if you i don't know if you're a gratitude journaler or not but i I, I started that journey I don't know, not too long after Jessica died. And every day I write gratitudes. And it's something that research has shown that if you do it five days in a row and write three to five lists of I'm grateful for, blah, 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 that six months later, you'll be happier than if you hadn't done that.
0: I am a total gratitude Writer. And I want to add something to that that I just learned as an, not as an NLP thing, but as a language thing, right? Because we're both big on language mm-hmm. and the language that we use, you know, tends to reinforce different behavioral patterns, thought patterns, neural pathways that have been mm-hmm. laid down, right? And so a coach just recently said this to me and I can't remember her um, differentiation of why she chooses to use the word appreciate versus gratitude. And as I was thinking about it, I went, you know, there are some people who I know I've worked with through the years who have trouble accessing what they call gratitude. So if you were to add to it, I appreciate, which is gratitude, right? Exactly. I appreciate then. So plug in that word as well, if you're having a little difficulty with the word gratitude, because I know in the earlier parts of my life when I was in the midst of really moving into my healing journey. Yeah. I I had a hell of a time looking at gratitude for like some of the things that had happened, right? Like how the hell am I supposed to be grateful for this? Are you kidding me? Well, when I first started writing
1: in the gratitude journal, literally it would be, I am grateful. The day is over. Yeah. I mean, that, that was where I was. And, right. you know, it's like, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful I have food. I mean, it was basic, basic, basic. Yeah. And over time it has evolved to higher level of gratitude, but there are days where it's like, I'm grateful the day's over. <laughs> so
0: so what would be a piece of advice that you, you know, piece of wisdom or a piece of advice that you would give having you know, while well, I'm going to back up for a second. So a lot of these places that you've, you know, you've spoken at, you've presented at, were they because of this work that you started to do? Or was it, you know, other things that were a part of your life? You know, um, oh, why is my brain giving me a, a, a brain burp right now? I guess what I'm asking is, it's amazing to me how you have, and I say amazing, right? Because doing what I do for a living, it's important to remember that I would often get the people who are, well, I only get people who are in pain and Mm -hmm. in massive pain, right? They're not usually going to seek out the services of a licensed therapist unless they're in that level of pain. And it's something seriously inhibiting their life in some way for them to usually step into a place where they're ready to kind of reach out and find someone like me from that role that I played. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're always coming into it from the, the depths of the pain that they're feeling like they're sucked into. And I know that as my work evolved and as my life evolved and my own healing journey that led me into this work to begin with, But there were pieces of it that I was doing well before I formally did it, right? Before I formally became a therapist. So I guess that's what I'm curious about. Were there aspects to, you know, some of the things that you have done, the accolades and accomplishments that you have had that were previous to all of this and Jessica's passing? Or have they all been kind of since?
1: Most of it is since I did speak before she uh, before she died, but while she was living, but then it was more around fundraising, to try and support the cause, to do research, to be mm-hmm. able to have something which now there actually are three. FDA approved treatments, which were not available before. Wow. And so the fundraising that I've done has definitely made an impact. And wow. which is bittersweet. I mean, I'm thrilled to see people that normally wouldn't have been able to walk, able to sit and walk and do things that just wasn't possible. So that part The advocacy was there before, and now I'm speaking from the place of being able to help people get to their joy, get to what they're really meant to do in this world, and succeed in their businesses, and have them have the life that they want, whether it's their relationships or their health, and all of it together, because we're complex people, and we're not just our business. We're not just our relationship. We're not just our health. And so helping people with all of that has been what I do now.
0: Well, and one of the things when you, um, when you, you know, to, to be a, a guest on the show, there's an application form that needs to be filled out. And when you filled that out, Linda, there was something you said, well, a lot of things you said, but this really stuck stuck out at me. I believe deep sorrow can bring deep joy. Joy and sadness can co- can coexist. And that is kind of the whole premise here on the show is that we can have our emotions and learn to move with them and through them and you know have them and the dragons. And so the reason I asked about your speaking and the pre you know, was it mostly since or or not? Because you have had this wealth of experience now. Professionally and personally, what would be a piece of advice or wisdom that you could offer up to those listening if they find that they're feeling a little bit, quote unquote, stuck or a little bit stagnant in their joy and really want to return to a place of regaining and reclaiming that joy for themselves?
1: Really tapping in to see what makes you happy. What is that? and do something even tiny that brings you closer to that that would be
0: my first the very first step the very first little piece oh thank you so much for that and if you're having trouble with defining that for yourself right even defining what happy is to you because i know Mm -hmm. i hear that a lot like i don't i don't know what happy means what does that mean to me And it really is just about the choice, right? Like we have the choice to say, it's like, I don't like eating this food, but I like eating this food. How do you know? You just make a choice when you taste it, right? You decide, well, it's kind of the same. But because happiness is and joy is that elusive thing that so many people is the if then and the when then, right? The when if and all that, that they build it up in their mind like a dragon, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. so brilliant what you thought of. And they've built it up in their mind, like, I can't have that unless blah, blah, over here. And so it is about, you know, making that choice. And you said that, too, that really people have a choice with dealing with their circumstances and that, you know, you had to learn through your experiences from grade school and high school and, and, and adult life on up as a married woman, as a mom, to a child with some very special needs and very you know serious medical situ, you know conditions. how to kind of make that choice for yourself to step in. So if you're having trouble, Linda also has a quiz that you can take that really helps you understand more of what your dragons are, right? Yes. It it is at joystealingdragons
1: dot com and it's a fun quiz. You can find out which of the five dragons is most active in your life and get a few tips about what to do about it and
0: have fun with it. I love that joy. I mean, literally, just the just the the URL joystealingdragons plural dot com. Simple, simple, simple. Go take that quiz, check out what your joy-stealing dragon predominant one is, and take a look at how you can begin to reclaim and regain the joy. Because I truly believe, just as you said about Jessica, that we are all born joyful, loving, pure. And we literally learn how to put all the meanings on top of everything else that then creates the joy-stealing dragons and creates those mm, mind pieces that get in our way and Mm -hmm. stop us from living our best and highest version of us and potential and joyfulness and in happiness. Any final words, Linda? Thank you so much. We're we're, we're a little bit over and I appreciate you taking the extra time. I, I apologize if I'm not honoring your time well, um, it's just always such an amazing conversation with you that honestly, I kind of lost track. And I just kind of glanced and realized that we're way over. And I don't know if you've had, you've got other things going on and I'm keeping you from them, but I thank you so much for it. I'm, I'm loving,
1: that. I'm loving this conversation and I hadn't even glanced at the clock. And so it's, it's I know just, I'm like,
0: I, oops. So well, and, hopefully, hopefully people are still listening. Oh, they are. So <laughs> any final, any final words that you would like to offer up? I just want people to know that you have a choice and you really
1: can make the decision of what life is going to be for you. And if you ever want any support around that, please reach out. I'd love to have a conversation. And
0: see oh, thank you do. so much. And I will make sure that everybody, you know, that you guys all know in the show know it's there'll be all the links, but go to, If any of the links we've given you are like, oh, I was listening and I couldn't write it down and I don't remember, remember this one, lindashively.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-S-H-I-V for Victor, E-L-Y.com, lindashively.com. Go there, check out Linda. You know, you're amazing, And I say you're amazing because I never obviously met Jessica. We just met, you know, maybe a month ago or less. But what's interesting about you, Linda, is that I can see the spark of Jessica in you and in your eyes because she, to me, was that role model for you of Pure Joy. And you, you know, she couldn't have been that herself On her own. She came from you. So she pulled that spark and then gave it back to you when it felt like you maybe kind of lost it. And I just so admire you and honor you for your courage, your vulnerability, your willingness to share that for others could be this very painful piece that for you, just like me, we could go through it and grieve it and feel the sorrow and the sadness and maybe sometimes still cry. But we've learned to be with it and to allow it to fuel us. And I just so honor and admire that, Linda. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you guys are struggling in any way, shape, or form with finding happiness or joy in your life, please do go check out Linda. Take her quiz. Again, that's myjoydrivenlife.com forward slash Susan for the meditation. And for the quiz, it's joystealingdragons.com. All that will be in the show notes. Know that we are both here for you in any way, shape, or form you need. Reach out to me at susandesunzi.com. If there's any questions, comments, feedbacks, feedbacks, feedback for Linda, for myself, anything you'd like to see on the show, you all are amazing. You are the spiritually expressed badasses. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. All the time, it's easy to dive back in and begin learning how to use the tools to become that because you already are that. I believe in you. I love you all. Thank you for being here. Go out and be the spiritually expressed badass that you were born to be. And I'll see you next week. Ciao for now. You've been listening to The Spiritually Expressed Human. Where conformity is not an option, getting out of the box is critical, and spiritually expressed means becoming the badass of your life while attaining freedom and inner peace. If you're ready to start that process, go to susandesenzi.com and click on the free gift tab to get started. You can also get the link in the show notes. Thank you for being here, and if you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your platform of choice. Until next time... Be the spiritually expressed badass you are meant to be.